the reading of the Scriptures from Acts chapter 17, the reading verses 16 to 34. I invite your reverent hearing of the public reading of God's Word from Acts chapter 17. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Aragopius, saying, men, or excuse me, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. But therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives life to all mankind, life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some of them joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, most of us are uh, acutely aware of, of financial fraud that abounds at every corner. Uh, people trying to invade the privacy of your computer to encrypt it, then demand a ransom from you. Uh, utility uh, 
uh, pretenders call and say, we're going to turn off utilities because you haven't paid your bill and uh, just give us a visa number and we'll take care of it. I mean, it just it goes on and on. It's really quite incredible, uh, the ingenuity of the fraudsters, but certainly will abound uh, all the more during Christmas season. And people are uh, very generous and yet perhaps prone to fraud. Uh, but uh, the greatest fraud of of all of the world is fraud respecting eternity. If, if someone can trick you about your eternal estate, that's real fraud. And I would commend to you the reality that that's what the Apostle Paul is facing in the city of Athens. Uh, because uh, idols were everywhere and they perpetuate the greatest fraud of all time, tricking you about safety and eternity. I will tell you something else that our culture in America is awash in idols. I will even tell you something worse. Our churches are awash in idols. Uh, this is why knowing who God is and what He has done in His Son, Jesus Christ, is so vitally important uh, because He is the only protection against the greatest fraud of all time. Because idols are counterfeits, uh, but the protection is the God of Scripture uh, and who He is and, again, what He's done. Well, as I suggested, Paul was in Athens. Uh, mind you, the birthplace of some of our democratic traditions. Uh, verse 16 is so critical. The city was full of idols. Oklahoma City is full of idols. Reminds me of uh, uh, the phrase of John Calvin, our hearts are idol factories. So true. As well as is the great fraud. Athens, of course, had been eclipsed by Rome, but still had a reputation for learning and philosophy. Uh, again, that in and of itself is idolatry. I cannot tell you how many personal friends I have who are Christians who raised their children in Christian homes, who then sent them to the university only to have their children totally ruined by the idols of learning and philosophy, some of whom have left the faith. I mean, it's a great tragedy, but it's the fraud that exists again everywhere. This uh, chapter represent in the book of Acts the fourth polemic against idolatry. Chapter 8, chapter 12, chapter 13, and now here the fourth. And it will really increase until we come to the final chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, but what is important is our remedy. Uh, the remedy that the Apostle Paul turns us to in his, his method and his message. And he begins with something that's well-worn in the book of Acts, and that is uh, the method he uses to confront the city of Athens, which was uh, full of idolatry. Uh, and Namely, his method is revelation. He turns to, to God who reveals himself in Scripture uh, because God is the only cure for idolatry. He's the only cure. Essentially, Paul's method will be if you rely on idols, you'll be ruined, so rely on God for your salvation. 
and he uses scripture as his method. Verses 16 to 21. In verse 17, we learn that Paul is reasoning, reasoning from revelation in the synagogue and the marketplace. So it doesn't matter where he is. I think, well, it'd be easy to reason from scripture in the synagogue. They had a high appreciation of the Old Testament. But he uses the same method in the marketplace uh, among idolaters. And it's important, certainly in Athens, because their idol was uh, rationalism, uh, very prominent in the American scene. We rely on reason. The problem with naked rationalism is, because of the fall, uh, our reason has been destroyed. It's part of uh, God's judgment uh, against the fall of Adam. Uh, we lost the ability to reason correctly to God. The remedy is Scripture, because he tells us in Scripture uh, how we can use the Scripture to reason to him. But again, it's reason and, and revelation. Now I would remind you very quickly, a scientist can reason as to how to build an airplane. He can use uh, physics and uh, advanced mathematics and uh, metallurgy, and he can build a beautiful airplane. But he cannot reason to God because of the fall. And the remedy that Paul turns us to is Scripture. Again, the problem with rationalism is, he tells the hearers in the city of Athens is, uh, their ignorance has led them to create many idols and gods and attribute divinity to them. And it leads to their vital, pardon me, to their idle and vain speculation. Notice verse 21. There was, a, there was just simply a trade in everyone's opinion. Reminds me of a lot, a lot of Bible studies. Well, what's your opinion? Uh, here's a text. Oh, what's your opinion? We just simply trade in Idle speculation and opinions. That's what the idolaters in the city of Athens were doing. That's what we do in America. Another critical element to uh, Paul's confrontation of the idolaters is that he does not seek common ground with them. A lot of people think that, well, because he uh, gives reference to this unknown God and then he speaks to his own God, that he's seeking common ground. Paul is not doing that at all because there is no common ground between the sinner and those who are saved. We can think aright because we have the Spirit, because God has corrected our reason with revelation, but the man who's lost does not. He will always interpret every fact of life in light of his own uh, pagan mind. There is no common ground. What Paul is going to do is merely proclaim self-evident truth. He's going to use Scripture to do that. Uh, this theology, by the way, is captured for us uh, most beautifully in Romans chapter 1, uh, in verses uh, 19 and 20. If you have your New Testament, I trust you do, uh, turn there because uh, this is the basis of Paul's confrontation of the Athenians in the marketplace. 
Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. They have no excuse because God made it evident to them. I will tell you that God stamped it on their souls and they suppressed that truth and unrighteousness. And the Apostle Paul is going to appeal to that theology as he confronts the Athenians. He's also going to proclaim that they worship in ignorance, meaning that their idols are counterfeits. And that to rely on idols is dangerous because they will fail in eternity. Revelation does not fail. And Revelation speaks to Jesus Christ who cannot fail as the God-man. Who does not fail upon the cross. Who uh, makes His success radically evident in the resurrection. Idols promise, but they cannot deliver. I mean, repair momentarily, if, if you will for me in your minds, to uh, what scriptures tell us about idols. Uh, Psalm 115. They're deaf, they're dumb, they're blind, they cannot feel. Uh, they have feet, but they cannot run. Uh, but the uh, decisive condemnation of the idols is that those who make them will become like them. That's why so many people have their eyes smeared over, their ears stopped up, and their hearts hardened. Because their worship of idols had made them like the idols that they've been serving. Psalm 135, they're man-made. Think about it. If you have to make your God, who's more powerful? And that's the folly of idolatry. Uh, I love the encounter of the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, God has sent uh, uh, drought across the land. He says, well, appeal to your idols. Maybe they'll make it rain. But they cannot bring man. Simply cannot. Because idols do not summon nature like our God does. Who can summon the clouds, the lightning, the wind and the rain, the hail, because he controls it all. That's not an idol. That's the God of Scripture. The majesty of the God of Scripture who summons all of nature to be a servant. I love the uh, rebuke in Isaiah chapter 46. Idols need to be carried. Our God doesn't need to be carried. We'll learn in a moment that we're the ones that need to be carried. And He has all power and mercy to do so. Certainly in His Son, Jesus Christ. If you have any Old Testament, turn with me if you would to a very beautiful picture of the inability of idols to uh, save in First uh, Samuel chapter five. I'm sure it's a text you're familiar with. There's been a war, and uh, the Philistines uh, capture the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, they put it in the Temple of Dagon. So, well, I mean, the point is that uh, our our God is more powerful than your God, and He's enabled us to capture your God. And so we're going to put your God in our temple as a visible display of the impotence of your God. So 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. 
When the Ashdodites rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. Well, it was just an earthquake. Someone was injecting too much water into the ground and to frack, whatever the case. So they correct the mistake. Uh, they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And they arose early the next morning. Behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. So who wins the battle? God does. Because there are no idols. God will destroy idols and he will destroy idolaters. Uh, the point of the text is uh, multifaceted, but it certainly do not rely on idols to save them. They cannot. They will not. They're a counterfeit. They're eternal fraud. Rely on God, who has revealed himself in the ultimate tabernacle, who is Christ, who entered the heavenly places by his power and the resurrection. Rely on him. Turn away from your idols. In verses 22 to 31, the message of the method is the truth about God in contrast to their idols. So Paul's simply going to contrast his God uh, with their idol factories. Because God is preaching Jesus and the resurrections, the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers take Paul to the Areopagus. Uh, the former denied God's providence and the latter were pantheists. God, God was everywhere. Very prominent religion in America, particularly those who worship nature. Um, God is everywhere. We should, we should protect the trees and uh, protect uh, tiny fish and, because God is everywhere. And so we should protect all these things. We worship, worship nature. Uh, the book of the Revelation calls them earth dwellers. They, they love the earth. Uh, the Areopagus was so named for the Greek god of war and the son of Zeus. Again, the idol factory of the human heart. The Roman counterpart was Mars, the father and guardian of the people. They're frauds. They're frauds. Because those who attempt to enter eternity will fail. Heaven will be closed to them. will only open to those who are in Jesus Christ. The message to rely upon him and not idol. Well, a council met at the Areopagus and wishes to hear about Paul's God. And he begins with the doctrine of creation. He says that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, verse 24. And that's Scripture. It's an allusion to Psalm 146, verses 6 and 10. Let me simply recite uh, a text to you. Psalm 146, verse 6, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. So we rely on the Creator, not the creature, and not what the creature makes. I love verses 10 of Psalm 146. The Lord will reign forever. Thy God, O Zion, to all generations. 
Mars and Zeus and all of their sons will fail. They're tricksters to feed the hearts of uh, fallen men and give them false security. So Paul is using Scripture, isn't he? The theology of Scripture. Just the self-evident truth that we're God's creatures and he made us. And I remind you from Romans chapter 1. God stamped that on their souls. They know it. And so Paul was just simply affirming it to them as a self-evident truth. Secondly, he's the Lord of heaven and earth. It's a merism, as you know. That speaks of the totality of the scope of the grandeur and the immensity of the supremacy of God. That as Christians, we know the supreme God, the only God, the one true God, and His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, and this is followed in the book of Acts, Paul's uh, sermon, if you will, in two denials. He does not dwell in a temple made with hands. That, I believe, is an echo of Psalm 66, verse 1. Pardon me, Isaiah 66, verse 1. Uh, as you know, the book of Acts relies a great deal on the prophet Isaiah. Uh, I think Paul is relying on Isaiah 66 in his message in the Areopagus. If he's relying on Isaiah 66, he's relying on Scripture. When you speak to idolaters, rely on Scripture. God will use His Word that speaks to His majesty and the fact that He is the sovereign Creator. Isaiah 66, 1 says, Thus the Lord, pardon me, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that you could build that I might rest? It's a rhetorical question. There is no house that man can build for God. Because of the utter supremacy of his majesty, his immensity that is everywhere, we cannot build a house for him to dwell in. In and of itself, it's totally confining. And so what God is telling us in Isaiah 66 is He's created everything, and so we could create nothing for Him. Again, the grandeur of Scripture. The context of Isaiah 66.1 is the end-time temple of the new creation begun by Jesus Christ, the new Creator, the majesty of the new creation, spiritual life. Genesis 1, he creates physical life. John 1, the eternal word comes to create spiritual life. That's why if you're a Christian, you know the Savior. The reason you rely upon Him and not idols is because He made you new by His sovereign power. Specifically, that God's universal transcendence and throne is so encompassing that what could man build for Him? It also alludes to Daniel chapter 2, verses 34 to 35. It's a very instructive passage because Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It's really about himself. It's about an idol with a head of gold, and that's, that's Nebuchadnezzar. That's Babylon. Uh, his, uh, uh, his court idolaters can't reveal the dream to him. Eventually, uh, Daniel is summoned who can because God makes it known to Daniel. 
You see the importance of revelation? That God reveals to his sons revelation of the majesty of who he is. And this is what, this is what Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, again, all of those are elements that are used to build idols. It's the irony of the text. Were crushed all at the same time. They came like chaff from the summer threshing floor and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the earth. It's a powerful lesson not to rely on idols. To rely on Christ, who alone can save. Because one will be totally destroyed, the others will be rescued, and will fill the earth because of the stone. Who is that stone? Who could that be? Well, it's obviously Christ. Matthew chapter 21, verse 44, our Savior alludes to this text and applies it to Himself. That's why we don't rely on idols. We rely upon Him. You know Him. Let me read that text to you. Matthew 21, verse 44. Speaking to the learned men of His day, but who weren't learned enough to see Him. And He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it will fall, it will scatter Him like dust. Theology of Daniel 2. Christ applies it to the majesty of who He is. Uh, that He is the great stone, uh, the great mountain that will fill the earth. And so His kingdom is filling the earth. Even as we speak, in the majesty of the divine presence. Stephen uh, alludes to the resurrected Christ as fulfilling this reality as well. Let's turn to Acts 7. Verse, verse 48. However, the Most High God does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. And then he quotes Isaiah 66 1. What's the context of that? He's speaking to, uh, to idolaters. Somewhere in the background is Herod's temple that was built with hands. And he's telling them that God doesn't dwell there because of Jesus Christ who has come to earth who will destroy that temple. Yeah. Verses 55 and 56. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He's the builder of the temple power of God. If he's at the right hand of God, it means he's been resurrected because he conquered death. That's why we'll rely on him and not on idols. As you know, uh, uh, their temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Ransacked. Torn down stone by stone. Fulfilling the prophecy of Scripture. 
It's very interesting that in Greek translation in the, of the Old Testament, the phrase made with hands is used many times of idols. And so uh, we build uh, idol factories and God will destroy them all. And that's why the compelling message is to rely upon Jesus, not upon what you make. Paul is telling the Athenians that uh, Jesus is not at all like your gods. He's the only true God. And he's going to destroy your gods. Their gods are tiny. They're insignificant. They require men to make them and to keep them. The gods of man. The product of our imaginations. But God has created our minds. And so we rely upon him and worship him with our minds. And his revelation. The second denial is he's not served by human hands because he has need of nothing, verses 25 and 26. Uh, this concept is part of Psalm 50. Uh, God doesn't need to eat or drink. Uh, he's nothing because he's God. Uh, conversely, he gives life and breath to all things. He needs nothing. He needs nothing to exist. He doesn't even need us to believe. He doesn't even need us to pray to Him because of who He is. If He needed anything, He wouldn't be God. The utter independence of the God that we worship and serve, who has made us His sons in Jesus Christ, the divine spiritual Creator. That's why we rely on Him. He gives life and breath to all things. He, he determines... Uh, Paul says there are appointed times and the boundaries of their lives. He's the giver and sustainer. In him, Paul says, we live and we act and we have our very being. In God. The God of Scripture. Think of the phrase, he's appointed the times of our lives. Because we're the sons of God, we praise him for that. There are no mistakes in eternity. No mulligans. No do-overs. Because of Christ our Redeemer. The concept in the Old Testament was that food was brought to the gods uh, to, to sustain them. Now one of my favorite stories is uh, go to Fort Sill to see the burial plot of Geronimo. Apples and oranges and a quarter. I asked my wife if I could get the quarter. I mean, Geronimo couldn't spend it. Might as well use it for a, I don't know, Mars candy bar. It's amazing. The little trinkets we leave to, to the idle factories of our mind. It's just simply the way of man. Rely upon Christ. He doesn't need food or drink or quarters. As well, uh, the idols of man need to be serviced. You have to clean up after them. They need cleaning and repair. Uh, our God is totally independent. He exists within Himself. And by Himself. He requires nothing. He's the only God that is all self-sufficient. The only independent in all of the universe. The point is that we need Him. 
desperately we need him because of who he is. And the greatest message of all time, he revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ. And while our Savior is transcendent, he is also imminent and able to manifest his presence in the God-man, the incarnation, in whom we live and move and have our very being that our entire beings are bound up in Him. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian not because you prayed, not because you had faith. I don't discount those things. They're very important. But you prayed and you had faith because He gave them to you as a gift of God because He's the sovereign spiritual creator. Now that's a God worth worshiping who can invade the human heart and make it new in sovereign power. He is far away and yet close at hand. To the end, Paul says that we should seek Him. And so you should. If you're not a Christian, you could seek Him. And ask if He wills that He might save you. Because only He can. Because He's the only God. The natural corollary of His utter supremacy and greatness our Savior Christ, the Redeemer. The result of this theology is that we should not attribute divine nature to human activities. We must not attribute it to idols. Remember, perhaps some of you do, that when we were doing some renovations on our church, uh, one of the former parishioners says, uh, well, you you ought to keep Mary. She'll give you good luck. As you know, I don't believe in luck. There's no such thing as luck. There's God and His sovereignty and His providence and we're His sons. It's it's expressed for us in the words of the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 3, when he speaks of the Judaizers who are idolaters. He says of them whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame who set their minds on earthly things. The idol factory of uh, so many of our institutions of higher learning. You go there so that you can, I presume, learn how to make a living as over against learn how to live a proper life. But that's the way of man. The Judaizers had their food laws. They worshipped their appetites more than uh, the God of Scripture. Reminds me of uh, of uh, Lot's wife. Uh, beautiful sermon of our Savior in uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 32. And you know the encounter. The angels come to Sodom and Gomorrah to tell Lot to get out uh, and, and to leave the city because it's going to be destroyed. A great rock is going to come and destroy and fire the city. And he says, don't look back. And you know, they're fleeing and uh, Lot's wife uh, looks back. I mean, what she expect to see? It's expressing of the longing of her heart. Oh, what's going to happen to my sterling? Oh, my china. Oh, my goodness, my paintings. Oh, all of my investment records. And I'm not against any of those things. I hope you have them all. But you don't long for them. You don't worship them. You don't rely upon them. 
You use them as God blesses you in life. She looked back. The longing of her heart. She set her mind upon earthly things. And in a moment, she was gone. Eternity was closed off to her forever. And so what does Jesus say in one of the shortest sermons of all the Scripture? Remember Lot's wife. Forsake your idols. Come to the Savior, the only true God. Because in Him, God has revealed Himself, made Himself known, made Himself real, conquered death, rose again. That's a God to worship. A beautiful reminder of this in uh, Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. That's a God to worship. That's Jesus Christ. Isaiah 57.13 Reminder to the idolaters who, who place their hope on earthly things that cannot enter eternity. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you but the wind will carry them all away and a breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me shall inherit the land and shall possess my holy mountain. Remember an idol is any, anything you rely upon uh, for salvation other than the God of Scripture and His Son, Jesus Christ. Anything. And remember that the frauds are everywhere. They're even in the church. Sad to say. And that's why it's important to give attention to revelation, lest our minds be carried away by false and vain speculation. Remember the warning of the Apostle John in his first epistle, the last verse. Uh, be careful of idols. And the idol of uh, Johannine Epistle is false teaching that's entered the church. Let me say that again. False teaching that has entered the church. Men that are pretenders. And that's why revelation in Jesus Christ is so radically important. That everything else when it comes to salvation must be not should be, must be forsaken because He alone can save. He alone can protect us as we enter eternity. And everything else will be fired. Remember, uh, what was it, a dozen years ago, famous uh, financier Bernie Madoff reading in the Wall Street Journal on the night in which uh, he was exposed that uh, uh, people went to the Messengers would go to high-end restaurants and go to their clients and say, it's all over, you've lost everything. And people cried out in anguish. Imagine 
that taking place on eternity when the doors are shut and someone comes to realize that their idols are frauds and their entrance is denied forever. Said that Bernie Madoff uh, created uh, the greatest Ponzi scheme in American history, the greatest financial fraudster of all time. But you know what? He's not the greatest fraudster at all. Idols are, false religion, anything other than Christ is a fraud. So we rely upon him. Uh, memory serves me, Madoff was sentenced to 150 years. I don't think he'll make it out, but who knows? Maybe someone will pardon him. There is no pardon from eternity. I got a letter in the mail a couple weeks ago from uh, someone that the former church here uh, had correspondence with, and it was a five-page letter uh, asking uh, us to pray for those whose uh, souls are in purgatory. Well, my friend, there is no purgatory. It's appointed that a man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. There is no purgatory. It's a fraud. Over and over again, unless you had initials by your name, like SJ or FR, a fraud, perpetrated. Well, I can give my heart to everything, and someone will get me out of purgatory. There is no purgatory, no relief. And so in verses 31 to 34, Paul embraces the message of accountability and responsibility. He proclaims in verse 30 that men should everywhere repent. They must forsake their idols. The stated reason is that God has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by the resurrected Christ, who is the one true eternal God. Great, great reminder from Isaiah chapter 2, verse 18. But their idols will completely vanish. And only Christ and those who are in Him will remain. We will not vanish because of who He is. He alone is the place of safety. We have fled to Him. Great reminder, again, from, from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 42. Which, as you know and recognize... Servant song, speaking of Christ. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. That's why uh, we've come to the living God and the Savior. Because the earth will be fired. Hebrews 10, 27. Our God is a consuming fire. 2 Peter 3, 7. With the present heavens and earth by His Word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment, destruction of ungodly men. Uh, I was reading in uh, uh, Greg Beal recently. He makes a startling comment. He contends that the reason the entire creation is fired and then made new is because it is full of idols. And all idols will be destroyed, banished, but God will make us new. Again, let's, let's remind ourselves uh, upon Him who we rely on for salvation and His power. 
Ezekiel 37, verse 23. Just simply remind you that how did you become a Christian? How is it that you fled your idols of luck and chance and your horoscope of trusting in earthly things and came to the Savior? Ezekiel 37, 23. And they will no longer defile themselves with their idols or with their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them and they will be my people and I shall be their God. That is who our Savior is. He cleanses us. He makes His new. He makes us sons. And that, my friend, forever. Mm -hmm.